You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, CFW Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life. The second Sunday after Trinity, Luke 14, 16 to 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, God created everything, not because he had been compelled to or because he wanted to reap some personal benefit. He was moved by his eternal love alone. David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. Psalm 19. Hence, all creatures have tongues with which they should praise their Creator day and night. God is the end and object of their existence. God was not only free to create the world or not, but as his perfect glory is now, not made greater by the praise of creatures than it was in eternity, so it would also not have been less if neither heaven nor earth, neither angels nor men praised him. God needs no creature. He is an infinite sea of eternal love, which overflowed in the creation of countless beings in whom he wanted to reveal his love and with whom he wanted to share his goodness. From eternity, God decided to pour the full stream of his goodness, especially upon man. God resolved to establish a kingdom of bliss and glory, and in it gather all men about himself. For that reason, God also created man in his image, so that he might be capable of eternal joy and bliss in him. Of course, we have fallen into sin. We have lost the image of God. By nature, we are now completely unfit for the blessed kingdom of God for which he had destined us all. However, God's Son came into the world to set up a kingdom of grace from which we should enter through death into the kingdom of perfect bliss and glory. If one is not first a subject of Christ's kingdom of grace, he will not come into that perfect blessed kingdom. Christ says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, John 10. And Peter declares, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. Paul teaches that the kingdom of Christ on earth will someday ascend into the kingdom of the triune God in heaven when he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when all things are subjected to him. Then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. You see, there is only one city of God in heaven and on earth, 
Whoever wishes to live within its walls in heaven must live on earth within its suburbs. There is only one temple of God here and there. Whoever wishes to enter there into the Holy of Holies must here enter into the vestibule of grace. There is only one kingdom of God in this world and in the kingdom to come. Whoever wants to share in the glorious entering into the capital of this kingdom, the heavenly Jerusalem, dare not here remain a guest and a stranger in Christ's kingdom. He must, even in this world, be a citizen with the saints and of God's household. When Christ publicly began his work, his first word, therefore, was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, verse 2. This invitation to enter into Christ's kingdom has often been sent to us as well. Have all of us accepted this invitation? Have all of us left the world? Is sin no longer our queen? Does Christ the Lord rule us all? Have all of us accepted the gracious call of the gospel? Can all of us, without the contradiction of our conscience, say with Paul, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verse 20. Alas, we must fear that for too many the call, Come, for everything is now ready, does not yet live in and move their hearts. They have not as yet, in faith, begun to set foot upon the way to the heavenly land. That none of us may be left behind, let us hear why we should not let anything hinder us from entering into Christ's kingdom. The text for our sermon today, Luke fourteen, sixteen to 24. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, What you commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So far our text. Christ here compares the calling of men into his kingdom to an invitation to a great banquet. He also points out that, unfortunately, many of the invitations are not accepted. Others must first be earnestly pressed to accept. Let us therefore consider, why should we not allow neither the world nor sin to hinder us from entering Christ's kingdom? Why not the world, and why not sin? In our gospel, Christ begins with the words, A man once gave a great banquet. By the picture of a great banquet, Christ presents his kingdom of grace. He wishes to say that, through sin, men have fallen into spiritual death, for the wages of sin is death. Now if God had not had mercy on them, they would have had to go into eternal ruin. However, 
God took care of man. Even from eternity, he had decided to prepare a great, wonderful banquet to feed their souls with the bread of life. This would satisfy the hunger of their souls, guard them from death, and keep them to eternal life. God decided to send his Son into the world. Through him, reconcile the sinful world to himself, earn grace, righteousness, life, and salvation, and let heaven be opened. Whoever would believe in Christ would enjoy here in time and hereafter in in eternity all these benefits that have been won by him. When Christ continues and invited many, he means that God, immediately after the fall into sin, invited all men into his son's kingdom of grace when he revealed to them that a redeemer would come to crush the head of the serpent. Christ continues, and at the time for the banquet, He set his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they, all alike, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Christ describes how the Jewish people invited through the prophets in the Old Testament, received the new invitation to believe the gospel. This invitation was extended at that time of the coming of Christ when, we might say, the table was finally set. They excused themselves, one after another. Nothing else than the things of the world hindered the majority. My friends, it was not only during biblical times that people excused themselves from Christ, For do not the majority even now decline the invitation of the gospel? And why? Why do most of today's Christians want to hear nothing of the preaching of Christ? Why would they rather hear the wretched teaching of morals and ethics? Why do so many not want to hear the call, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Or why do so many gladly hear the invitation and diligently come to the church where the call, Come, for everything is now ready, still sounds, but so few actually come to Christ? Why do so few decide to surrender completely to Christ? Why do so many find a certain pleasure in the comforting gospel without it actually becoming their daily bread, the life of their souls, and the soul of their life? The majority say, if not in words, then in their hearts, I have purchased this or that, I have to do this or that, I have married a wife for a husband, and so on, and therefore, please have me excused. I cannot come. It is impossible, as they suppose, to tear oneself away completely from the things of this world, be they earthly goods, earthly pleasure, or earthly honor. They think that one should not turn one's back recklessly to the good fortune which smiles at them. Another is already sated with the good things which the world serves up to her children. Another is intoxicated with the cup of joy. Another is too entangled in the world's worries and troubles. He finds no time to go daily to Christ, if I may say so, as his guest. He fears that he will lose too much and win too little. Christ and his kingdom are considered hardly worth sacrificing one's whole life for. Yes, he considers life in Christ's kingdom an irksome, difficult task, whereby he fears to make himself more unfortunate and embitter his life. Alas, 
How foolish such thoughts are. How foolishly they act who let the things of this world hinder them from entering Christ's kingdom. The world is well worth leaving. The kingdom of Christ is well worth sacrificing everything for in order to squeeze through the narrow gates of this kingdom. For what is life in this world? It is, as Christ describes, the joy and care of field, cattle, wife, and child. As Moses writes, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Psalm 90, verse 10. It is, as Jesus, son of Sirach, writes, a miserable, wretched thing for the life of all men, from the womb to the tomb, which is the mother of us all. There is always worry, fear, hope, and finally death. This is true of him who sits in honor, as well as with the least on earth. True of him who wears silk and a crown, as of him who wears a coarse blouse. Ecclesiasticus 41. Who among us must not agree with this description of the world? Merely look back on your life. Must you not admit that true fortune is youth's empty hopeful dream, which never goes into fulfillment? Must you not acknowledge with Solomon, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, Ecclesiastes 1. Would it not therefore be foolish to set one's heart on anything in this world, even if there were no kingdom of Christ? But what utter foolishness to let the miserable things of this world hinder one from entering into this kingdom. For the kingdom of Christ is not what most think. Whoever enters this kingdom does not embitter his life. It is, as Christ shows in our gospel, a banquet. It is neither hard work nor bitter service, but, as it is called in other places, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever dismisses the world and sets his heart on Christ discovers that God is a gracious and friendly Father who will not remember his sins in eternity, who removes all care from his heart, who lets him live in his home, eat at his table, and drink of his cup, and thus daily and richly provides and refreshes him body and soul. Whoever dismisses the world and sets his heart on Christ, for the first time begins to live. For the first time he experiences what it means to be happy. For the first time he feels how blessed he is to be free of the shackles of sin. For the first time he sees how blessed he is to have the sun of grace rise over the darkness of his heart. To be sure, as long as a person is bewitched by the world, he just cannot believe that one is better off in Christ's kingdom than in the world, that a Christian is inexpressibly more fortunate than even the most fortunate child of the world. However, you who are not yet able to believe that, preferring the world and its things to the kingdom of Christ and his joy, if you should experience just one day what Christians experience, you must certainly never long to return to the world, but say with David, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 84. Yes, you would cry out with Paul, 
But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Philippians 3. If you children of the world do not want to be coaxed into Christ's kingdom by being shown how fortunate you could be, then hear what else Christ says in order to frighten you. He says, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. If one despises Christ's table of grace now, he will find no heavenly table set for him. If one does not enter into Christ's kingdom of grace now, he will not enter the kingdom of glory. Yes, in as friendly a manner as Christ here coaxes all to his banquet, in so wrathful a manner will he there hurl those from whom he despised his friendly invitation, preferring the miserable things of the world to his heavenly pleasures and joy, which he so bitterly earned for us all. All mercy will end. Christ will say to them, You have despised me, the bread of life, so go and die forever and eat the bread of sorrow. You despise the cup of my grace, which I held out to you, so drink the cup of my wrath. You despise my blessing, so now bear my eternal curse. You despise my heaven, so now go into your hell. Christ shows us not only why the things of this world should deter us from entering into his kingdom, but also why we should not let our sins hinder us. Universal experience shows that as long as a person does not know what it means to confess, I am a sinner, so long he supposes that he does not need Christ's kingdom of grace. He believes he can stand before God with his own righteousness. Or he supposes that the kingdom of Christ is not a big enough inducement to deny himself and leave the world which he holds so dear. If, however, through God's grace and the enlightenment of his Holy Spirit, it becomes clear what God can and must demand of him, and how matters stand with him without Christ. If the sin of his past life, the filthiness of his own righteousness, the corruption of his heart, the great debt he owes God, and the complete right of God to punish him in time and eternity becomes clear to him, then he usually becomes foolish and despondent. He does not try to enter, enter into enter into Christ's kingdom of grace through faith and find comfort in him as his reconciler and savior. He supposes that he must first better and cleanse himself. He must offer something in order to move Christ to receive him. Christ would be ashamed of him as he is now and would pour upon him only his wrath. God could not possibly, without further ado, forgive such a great sinner everything and receive him as his child. As little as a filthy beggar who has insulted, dishonored, and mocked a king dare attempt to enter as he is into the king's banquet hall as a guest, so little and so much less dare he try to appear at the great supper of God's Son as a vile, unclean sinner. These are his thoughts. What does Christ say to that? He continues in his parable in our text. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there is still room. 
And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Christ shows us that the invitation to enter his kingdom was at first a general one directed to all the Jews. The rich, however, had despised this invitation. Now the gospel would be preached, would be preached particularly to the poor and miserable. After the Jews would have rejected the gospel, his servants would invite the heathen. Christ thus reveals the true nature of his kingdom. He means to say that as little hope as there is of those being saved who despised his grace, though they live ever so uprightly, so little chance there is of him being lost, who longs for his grace, even though in spiritual things he is poor, crippled, lame, blind, yes, the most miserable of all homeless beggars. If he is ever so poor in all good works, ever so incapable of doing any good, and ever so unclean, if he is ever so far distant from God, has committed ever so many sins, has sinned ever so often and ever so seriously and ever so long, in other words, even if he is an ever so great, miserable, yes, infamous sinner, of whom all men are ashamed, who is rejected by all, comforted by none, to whom the hope of salvation is refused by all and damnation is pronounced, he should not be lost. He can enter into Christ's kingdom, Christ's kingdom of grace. That is what Christ means to tell us with the second portion of his parable. You see, my friends, as little as a person should let the world hinder him from entering into Christ's kingdom, so little should he also let his sins and unworthiness deter him. Rejoice, all of you, who through God's grace have recognized that you are unworthy sinners and now long to be received into Christ's kingdom of grace. Christ permits you to hear this. Come, come, for everything is now ready. Yes, he compels his servants to compel you to come in. Do not listen to the voice of your heart, which wants you to refuse his grace. Your heart is not your judge, but the word of God is that says to you, Come, for everything is now ready. Do not let the law frighten you. Do not let the fact that you read in God's word how much God demands of men and how severely he punishes all sinners make you despondent. The law has no right over those who flee to Christ, because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 10, verse 4. Do not become frightened if Satan shoots his fiery thought that your sins are too great, or that you have sinned too long, or that you have fallen away again too often. The words, Come, for everything is now ready, shall continue until judgment day, and therefore until your last hour. If it is spoken to you, and you recognize your sins, this includes you. You can and could come and receive grace upon grace. Now, perhaps many people will say, I would gladly come but I am afraid that I lack the most necessary thing, a true living knowledge of my sins. You who complain thus, bear in mind that man should find grace not through the knowledge of his sins, 
but through faith in Christ. It does not depend upon the degree of the knowledge of your sins. If without playing the hypocrite, you can only say that you know that you are a completely unworthy sinner who can be saved only by grace, do not wait, but hurry that you may save your soul. Come, come, for everything is now ready. Perhaps another says, I fear that I may deceive myself. Only too many have already gone on, made their own kind of faith, supposed that they comforted themselves in Christ's grace, and finally were lost. This is true indeed. They were not lost because they had actually found comfort in Christ, but because they thought they did, and therefore did not really turn to Christ. Whoever turns to Christ to receive grace through him does not deceive himself. For then Christ, who says, Come, for everything is now ready, must deceive him. But he does not deceive you, O sinner, indeed not. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.